That was the first clue Blue got that something was inherently different, irretrievably altered. If not about the world, then about Caveswater. And if not about Caveswater, then about Adam. Chapter 46, page 398, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and making bargains with unknown and potentially devastating entities. But I'm sure it'll all work out, right? Right? Right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> this is episode 15, and we'll be covering chapters 44 through 48 of The Raven Boys. That would be the end. Yep, to the end. Yep. And no deep dive this time. As we said last episode, we will actually be doing some chatting about our feelings on season one, about our feelings about the Raven Boys, what we're looking forward to in season two, and all that kind of fun stuff. Yay! Yay. I'm excited. And disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle, which means we are spoilerific. So you probably want to have read the books before listening. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me. This podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. Don't think so. Not this time? Okay. (laughs) Unless you pull the same thing you pulled last time. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, let's get on with the show. Wait, before we get started, I just want to say happy solstice! Woo! We're yes, going to be releasing on... release on solstice. Yeah. yeah. Yay! Yay! So. Midsummer! Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Okay, so chapter 44 is an Adam Welk Blue split POV chapter. And hey, hey, the gangsies all here. Adam makes his way to Caveswater, finds Welk and Neve almost mid-ritual, and then Gansey, Blue, and Ronan, and sort of Noah, find them. Mm-hmm. I love the opening line. There are trees, and then there are trees at night. And this is very true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's also such a crisp and powerful opening line to the chapter. It is. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So evocative. Yes, as as I say often. As everything. (laughs) (laughs) So when Adam got to Caveswater, it felt like a living being. The wind through the leaves was like the bellows of an exhaled breath. And the hiss of rain on the canopy, like a sucked-in sigh. The air smelled like wet soil. First off, I love this passage. It's mm-hmm. so descriptive and evocative, again. Also, that wet soil smell is, like, one of my favorite smells. Right. The second, Cadeswater is a living being, or beings, of sort, and it is probably trying to talk to him. Right. And I feel like a lot of this episode is just going to be us going, Yes! I noticed that! I love it! <laughs> Even more so than usual. Agreed. Because your notes here are almost exactly what I had written down. And then also (laughs) Petricor. It smelled so good yesterday. uh, That's the smell of soil after rain. Ah, okay. Yes. Yes. I wish I could have done this in the daytime, Adam thought. Mm -hmm. And this is important to note because of what happens. Right, right. Adam suspected there was plenty to be afraid of in Caveswater after the sun went down that's true in any forest but yeah yeah particularly i would think a creepy sentient forest Uh uh-huh might be a little off-putting right after dark and adam thinks one always felt observed here 
And I'm thinking, like, I will be your hands, I will be your eyes, and also, you are being observed. Yeah, by the trees, or Noah, or both. Oh, probably both. Mm -hmm. And then Adam stepped over the invisible gurgle of the creek, crossing the boundaries of Cave's water, and bam, it's bright. The skin of his hand in front of him had become rose and tan. The air moved slowly around his body, somehow tangible, gold-flaked, every dust mote a lantern. This is really gorgeous, and it feels like Cabe's water welcoming him, sort of settling a mantle of power over him. Mm -hmm. And since Cabe's water lives in all times, and so it should know that its magician has arrived. I agree. There was no sign of night, and there was no sign of anyone else in the trees. Overhead, a bird called, the first he remembered hearing in the wood. It was like the sound the hunting horns made in the fall. Away, away, away. Mm -hmm. And I had completely forgotten that Adam had this thought too. Mm -hmm. So it's Blue, then Adam, then Gansey and the Raven King. And I looked and it seems like this does not ever come up in Ronan's POV. So it's just the three of them. Interesting. It both awed and saddened him, Cabe's Water's brand of bittersweet beauty, which also could be a reflection of Adam himself. Yeah, it is. This place should not exist, Adam thought. And at once he hastily thought the opposite. Perhaps I should stop pointing out all the time Adam gets it because there's so many of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Caveswater was as literal as Ronin was. Okay, one more. (laughs) Right. Yeah, this is that huge flashing spoiler sign I referenced last episode. Uh And then the question is, is Caveswater literal because Ronin dreamed it? Or is Ronin literal because that's how dream energy works? Hmm. Dreams are almost like a concrete item with physical rules. You Uh have to know it. You have to feel it. You have to be able to really to manifest it. Right. Right. So it has to be this concrete literal thing that you're pulling out of your dreams. Uh So is that the influence of this sort of mystical convergence? I think it might be. And Adam thinks that he needed to guard his thoughts. And I feel like Adam is always guarding his thoughts. Absolutely. And I'm highly amused by the chain of realizations here. Mm -hmm. Adam sees the bowl of water and notices it has no debris. And that means... Right. And the adrenaline hits his system a second before he heard a voice. Yeah, he's so observant. It's pretty phenomenal. Uh And here the POV switches to Welk. And we have a bit of a flashback to them arriving at Cave's Water. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get a thought from Wilk that the fact was, Neve clearly had a plan, which was far more than Wilk could say of himself. Yeah. <laughs> so we have established. Uh-huh. Wilk allowed himself to be driven in his own car, now reeking of garlic and full of crumbs. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, man. <laughs> I am so effing glad he dies in about 10 pages. Yeah, yes. Big mood. <laughs> He's grateful that Neve decides not to take the car off-road. And my comment was, you're going to be dead. Who the fuck cares about your suspension? Uh-huh. Sorry, Neve said. I did look on Google Maps for a closer place to park. <laughs> so practical and hilarious. <laughs> Being a sacrifice is a fine thing, Neve says, with a lovely... Yeah, lovely. Lovely. Uh It's such... Lovely is an odd word choice here. Uh Tradition behind it. Besides, you deserve it. It's fair. And she has a point. Yeah, true that. (laughs) And Welk says, does that mean that someone else ought to kill you in fairness down the road? And this does happen, and it looks like it happens sooner than it actually does. Mm-hmm. You seemed very pleasant until I tasered you, Neve says, and I'm just like, Welk, pleasant? Yeah, ditto. <laughs> it's a hard thing to hold a civil conversation after recalling that one party has used a taser on the other, so both of them finish the walk in silence. 
<laughs> okay, it makes sense. And also, yeah. thank you. Right, yes. <laughs> Quit talking. Something about the atmosphere immediately took him back to the moment, the skateboard in his hand, the sad question gasped in Journey's dying sounds. God, poor Noah. Yeah, and the passage where Welk is recalling what happened at that time, ugh, it's pretty powerful. Right. He was 17 and shivering. Every time his heart beat, red lines streaked in the corner of his visions, the trees darkening with his pulse. It made the leaves seem like they were all moving, though there was no wind. Cherney was on the ground, not dead, but dying. His legs still pedaled on the uneven surface beside his red car, making drifts of fallen leaves behind him. His face was just done. Ugh, that guy. Yes. <laughs> Guy's the worst. Mm -hmm. And then the whispers hissed and popped in his head like a fire just getting underway, but Welk ignored them. Good job with that, because I would think they would be unbearably loud right now. Right. And he thinks he missed spray painting the Henrietta sign on I-64 after getting astonishingly drunk on his birthday. There are a ton of callbacks in this chapter, and this is one. Blue continued, and they drink themselves senseless every weekend and spray paint the Henrietta exit sign. <laughs> Page 10 of the Raven Boys. Also, I-64 does put Henrietta farther south near Staunton, which means it's even further away from both Singer's Glen slash Singer's Falls and Nether's than I have said previously. Okay. Welk begins, or continues, feeling sorry for himself, going over his perceived slights and losses, even thinking that he missed Cherney. And I'm like, nope, you do not get to even think that. You do not get that privilege. You gave that right up. Yeah. He tried to remind himself of the practicality of the death instead, but it failed. How was that practical? Uh-huh. It accomplished nothing. Yes. Well, Welk is well. not practical to begin with. Uh-huh. He wished he could find it in himself to cry, something to relieve the terrible weight inside of him. N-O-P-E. Yeah. Suffer, asshole. Yeah, me, no pity. <laughs> and then Neve explains, I have made a pentagram. It is a strong shape for any sort of spell. Neve giving a witchcraft 101 lecture to the guy she's about to off. Right. I'm not even sure why she's bothering, other than to be sort of self-congratulatory. I do find it interesting that she straight up refers to it as a spell, which seems to be skirted the rest of these books. Right. It mentions rituals, but you don't really hear any any other space mm. that I can think of. Someone calling yeah, it a calling spell. calling it a spell. Mm -hmm. I have crossed the leg bones of three ravens I killed to show the corpse her the nature of the spell I mean to do. Intention isn't magic, but magic is intention. Mm -hmm. She's making the shape of the crossing ley lines. Right. And we've seen it a lot of times before already in the book. Right. And yes, I really do love this insight regarding the ley line symbol. Mm -hmm. It's also an instance of three and the three ley lines converging here. Uh -huh. Also, I wonder if ravens are connected to this area because of Glendower or if Glendower's people were drawn to bring him here because of the ravens or maybe ravens are just drawn to ley lines. Yeah, I'm with the, they chose this location on the ley lines because it was a natural habitat for ravens. Uh, mm. And maybe someday we'll do that raven myth and magic deep dive. You know, someday. Yeah, I mean, it might fit well into parts of the next, the next books. books. Yeah. And Neve says, I think I will bleed you out in the center of the pentagram while invoking the ley line to wake. So this confuses me a little, not from the perspective of the characters, but as a reader, because on page 328 of The Raven King, it says, Artemis nodded, it is dangerous to spill blood on the Amavia. Even a little can plant dark things. Blue's eyes widened, a demon. 
Wouldn't Noah's blood have created another demon? And wouldn't Welk's blood here or later create a demon? Hmm. I mean, do we assume that the first demon was made by Artemis and that's why he's so reluctant to talk? I don't know. We'll get there. Yeah, that's quite a ways off. It's quite a ways <laughs> off, but... But it's a good thing to start thinking about. Yeah. And then Neve says, I may tweak it as I go along. These things need to be flexible. Why is she explaining this? I have no idea. It's like, maybe it's foreshadowing Adam's freeform with the ritual later? Mm-hmm. Is Welk actually interested, or is he just trying to stall? I think Welk is trying to figure out how this might work, since the last time he attempted it, it obviously didn't. And maybe Neve has a key to it that he did not? That's my thought. Maybe, but again, he thinks he's about to die. Uh, he knows he's not tied up. Well, that's so true. he doesn't think that's he's about true. to die. Okay. He actually is pumping her for information on how her mm, ritual is right. going to work so that he can then use it on her. And then does Neve just not even hear Welk getting himself out of the ropes, standing up, moving around and picking up a branch? Is she listening to earbuds or something? <laughs> like He says she turned around, so he whacked her with a branch. I'm like, there's uh-huh. a lot of steps in between her turning around and being whacked on the head with a branch uh-huh. that are fairly noisy. Then he looked up and saw Adam perish. Okay, huge question. Wouldn't the brightness have startled them? Maybe. Yeah. It wasn't bright when they came into Caves Water. As far as we know. No, he says they come in at dusk. That's true. So they come in at dusk. So it's getting dark. Mm -hmm. And then Neve is setting up the ritual after dusk. It's dark. Adam comes in, in the middle of the night, flips on the lights, and that's not startling. Yeah, that's that's weird. <laughs> weird editing error. Uh-huh. Uh, and then blue POV. It was the first time Blue had felt as if it were dangerous for her to be in Cave's Water. Dangerous because she made things louder and more powerful. Mm-hmm. Blue looks anxiously at Gansey, trying to decide if this could be the moment he dies. Surely she had been meant all along to meet him since she was supposed to kill him or fall in love with him. Or both. Right. Also, you believe in fate now, Blue? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she's like, surely Persephone wouldn't have let them go if she'd sensed that tonight was a night Gansey died. I'm like, she absolutely would have. Would have let them go? Or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I thought you were saying that she would have told them and not let them go. Oh, But because I was like, yeah, they've been so hands off for this whole scenario. Like, I don't think Persephone would have given a warning either. It would have Mm -hmm. violated whatever code they seem to be operating under at the moment. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't think she would have said anything to them at all. Because Persephone is very much like things have to happen as they're supposed to happen. Right, right. Yeah. At the sight of the Camaro, Gansey's face, which had already been grim, became positively stony. I was about to make a quip, but I think I'd be mad if my friend stole my car, too. Mm-hmm. Even if I had been being a jerk and it was basically my fault. Yeah, I did make a quip and it was basically shove it, Gansey. <laughs> I feel like he's more mad that Adam went against his wishes, not so much that he stole the pig. Probably. Yeah. At the edge of the woods, the feeling of change, of possibility. And again, that's blue imagery mm-hmm. in the forest. The electrical feeling intensifies. Between one blink and the next, they found themselves surrounded by a dreamy afternoon light. And I just underlined dreamy. Uh Uh-huh. 
Because it's caves water. Because it's caves water and it's a dream. <laughs> and even having braced herself for magic, Blue was breathless with it. That's a beautiful quote. Mm-hmm. Gansey again. What was Adam thinking? Come on, Gansey, please. I need you to just stop for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then they see Noah's Mustang. In the unearthly golden light, looking even more surreal than the first time they found it. This is definitely one of those scenes that is so visually imprinted in my mind that if we ever get a TV show, it's going to have to be so perfectly executed. Uh, Someone had written a word on the dirty glass, murdered. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is chilling already. And it reminds me of the Red Rum scene in The Shining. That's that's super scary. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but it it does. It reminds Uh me of that scene. Like, I mean, of course, the circumstances are different, but... Right, right. And then the word keeps appearing on the glass, and Blue thinks that she had pictured him having a body while he did it. Mm -hmm. Far more difficult was watching the letters appear spontaneously. It made her think of the Noah with the dark hollows for eyes, the smashed in cheek, the barely human form. Even in the warm afternoon woods, she felt cold. I'm like, me too? Yeah. She thinks it's Noah drawing energy from me. She is, by now, able to identify that chill of a spirit. And if we loop back to chapter one, it was freezing in the churchyard even before the dead arrived. Uh Uh-huh. Page five. The writing continued until the driver's side glass was clear, entirely swept clean by an invisible finger, until there were so many words that none of them could be read. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Noah, Gansey said. I'm so sorry. Blue wiped away a tear. Me too. Me three. Me four. (laughs) Vernon pressed his finger to the windshield, and while they watched, he wrote, remembered. Baby bird heart. Also, action, not words. Yeah. This is so hard because in the end, Noah slid quietly from time. And it may be that he slides from their memories as well. I'm with a lot of folks. I wish Noah had had even a mention in the epilogue of the Raven King. Yeah, because it's like, you know, did they forget him? Like, yeah, it's so sad. It is very sad. You don't know. Mm. There's no indication. If they did, though, that lends credence to the... It's not an infinitely repeating cycle. It's until they get things right. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway, something that I was thinking is, why does Blue think of Kala as a secret killed your father here? Ronan is showing deep, unspoken grief. And it would make sense that, to me, it would resonate in Blue's memory. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Also, it's a parallel because Noah's head is bashed in. Ronan's father, although Blue doesn't know it, his head was bashed in. Right. And Ronan strides away and Noah tries to tell Blue something, could it possibly have been something about Ronan? It could be. Adam was right. Noah was getting less and less. So sad. Yeah. And he continues to deteriorate through the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the entire series. Right. Caveswater felt like a place for things to get lost at the moment. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Yeah. And then here we get another Excelsior, and though it's mentioned to be bleak. Right. He was once more just a little bit closer to the boy she had seen in the churchyard. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> chapter 20. Uh, chapter 25. No. no. <laughs> chapter 45. Adam POV. Adam confronts Welk and a tense tussle ensues. Adam makes a sacrifice of the only thing he truly has himself. So it opens up with, for the love of God. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Welk's reaction on seeing Adam makes me lol. Yeah. (laughs) 
Adam was surprised by the rush of emotion the sight of well caused. Adam is unsettled by emotions he can't tamp down and control. Mm-hmm. Especially when he realized that this was once again a ritual. Once a- again? Where was the first one Adam had seen? The backyard. No, he, he wasn't, wasn't. I thought he was. Blue was in the backyard. Huh. Okay. Why? Oh, man. Why am I remembering like Adam showing up? No, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering like Adam showing up after the thing with Neve and the and the scrying, but maybe That's not. That's blue. Mm-mm. I knew, yeah, I knew it was blue that huh. saw the scrying, but I was huh, never mind. <laughs> but I'm just like, where, where would it? I'm like, why once again? That doesn't make sense. Once mm-hmm. again, a ritual. Anyway, or maybe he realized he knew that Noah was a ritual. Yeah, Noah was really just a murder. <laughs> There was no pre-planning that would have been a ritual involved in that. Like, and that's true. there was no candles. There was no bowls full of liquid. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's just kind of an offhanded question. <laughs> so Neve didn't look quite as afraid as he thought someone tied in the middle of a diabolic symbol might be expected to look. First, pentagrams aren't necessarily diabolic. Yes, I circled that and said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Though I suppose this one kind of is. Yeah, well. (laughs) And second, yeah, why isn't Neve scared? Uh, I noted that she might know that she will not die here, but that's conjecture. Neve seems pretty unflappable, even in the worst circumstances. I guess that's true. She's always calm and collected. Yeah. And then Adam says, why Noah? Why not someone horrible? And Welk says, I'm not having this conversation. There's no real reason. Welk doesn't plan and Noah was just there. Right. There was a post floating around recently asking why Welk wouldn't at least pause, given that Adam is basically saying he knows Noah. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that the dialogue is just ambiguous enough that Adam's not saying my BFF Noah. Mm -hmm. Welk must know that Gansey has clued Adam in that Welk killed Noah, given that Gansey and Blue fell in the bones. Mm -hmm. And then Welk you know, confirmed it with Kansi. Right. And it's reasonable to think that as a kid that grew up in Henrietta, Adam may have crossed paths with Noah when he was alive. Possibly, though Noah was is actually quite yeah, a bit older. But I mean, a 17-year-old and a 10-year-old, they could have at least crossed, crossed paths. paths. Yes. It was obvious that he wasn't sure what to do with the fact of Adam, which was fair, because Adam had no idea what to do with the fact of Welk. Yeah, I find Adam's whole thought process about the gun to be very Adam-like and logical. Uh Uh-huh. And then he pulls out the gun. It felt heavy and malevolent in his hand. Uh Uh-huh. I'm here to stop this from happening again. Untie her, Welk said again. For the love of God, Adam is taking this very seriously, as is his way, and Welk is not, as is his. Yeah. So Welk demands that Adam throw the gun to him or he'll slice Neve's face off. Oh, fuck. So mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And Adam briefly thinks that if he were Gansey, he could talk his way out of this. But he was not Gansey, so all he could think to say was, I didn't come here for anyone to die. I'm going to throw the gun out of my reach, but I'm not going to throw it into your reach. Very logical. And do we feel that this happens later is Adam's assumption that Gansey could put a stop to this borne out by the text when Gansey actually arrives? Hmm. It's it's not. Welk seems no. to be pretty unable to be reasoned with to me. Agreed. You'll ruin the ritual if you do that. Cut my face off, says Neve. <laughs> Weren't you listening? I thought you were interested in the process. 
and Adam was seeing something unusual when he looked at Neve's eyes. It was like he saw a brief flash of Mora and Persephone and Kala in them. Adam is psychic. Uh-huh. Before the bargain with Caves Water. Uh-huh. That's all I can really attribute this to, that he is getting visions of what the Foxway ladies are doing. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Caves Water. Right. Granted, it's like looking in eyes, which are mirrors. Right. Which is... Scrying, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, he thought he saw a flash of something when he was looking at her face. A black mask, two mirrors, Persephone's face. And this makes me feel like he's seeing Persephone's death. Mm-hmm. Not the black mask, if it's Neve's mask, though that mask was something that is tangled up in the mirrors, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it also could be the mask that Ronan dreams later, carved of smooth, dark wood that is the face of the devil. Mm-hmm. Then Neve says, it must be a personal sacrifice. Killing me wouldn't accomplish that. I'm nothing to you. And Malk says, but I'm nothing to you. And then Neve replies, but killing is. Mm-hmm. Adam gets it instantly, logically. You don't have that to give up. It doesn't have to be death, though, Adam sees. Mm-hmm. Leaves the color and shape of pennies drifted down around them. Are we in the fall part of Caves Water? Because, like, that's... Yeah, I don't know. Because, it's... like, that's definitely fall leaves and it's, like, mm-hmm. late spring, early summer. Right. Neve was still staring at Adam. The sensation of seeing someplace else in her eyes was now undeniable. It was a black, mirrored lake. It was a voice deep in the earth. It was two obsidian eyes. It was another world. Yeah, I guess there was foreshadowing for the demon after all. Also Mm -hmm. for where Neve ends up, although we don't see it until blue, lily, lily, blue. Yes, this kind of blows my mind because I don't think I ever noticed the obsidian eyes or put together the voice deep in the earth. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I glossed over the eyes as being Persephone's black eyes. Possibly. But we did have an Anon ask on Tumblr about episode six, where we said we thought the demon felt dropped in. And this was my opinion in episode zero as well. Uh So I will say here that I think it was more foreshadowed than I had noticed. I agree. Like We have been after, picking up more uh-huh. once we said that that was something we were going to be looking for. And then Gansey shows up. Adam's heart was a bird in a stone. His relief was palpable, but so was his shame. Mm-hmm. And Gansey starts off with, Mr. Welk! <laughs> and I'm like, Gansey is such a nerd! It's like, all this and Welk still gets a mister? Yeah, well... <laughs> Politeness is power with Gansey. That's true. Even in his glasses and with his musty bedhead, he was still in full Richard Gansey the Third splendor. Shiny and powerful. I love that line uh-huh. so much. <laughs> the police are on their way. Gansey lies to Welk, manipulating him. Uh-huh. And then suddenly they realize, or Adam realizes, that Neve was gone. She had not moved. She had disappeared. Right. And theories as to where Neve goes or why Neve goes. Mm-hmm. We know that it's something that the ladies do that triggers it, but is she perhaps tied to the demon and that's why she reappears outside of its cave? Possibly. And then I also wonder if this is somehow tied to the darkness that she sees Gansey's spirit walk into. Mm-hmm. And I have many more theories about that once we get yeah. much closer. Yeah, that's all very mysterious. Right. <laughs> and then I love this. Everyone was frozen in a diorama of uncertainty. That's a very good line. (laughs) So good. 
so good. It's like, you know, those little like freeze things right? that people do. It's like when you do the strobe yes, rooms at uh-huh. the museum or whatever. Mm-hmm. The sudden disappearance of Neve leads Welk to lunge towards the gun. It took Adam only a second to realize. Adam is thought, and then Ronan is action. Aww. Ronan hurled himself toward Welk the same moment that Welk rose with the gun. Such a Ronan moment. Yeah. Welk points the gun at Gansey, and Blue yells, Stop! And I'm like, that's not really going to help, Blue. Yeah, and it's interesting to have Blue shout. I wonder if Gansey had shouted if his command would have kicked in and stopped Welk. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Okay. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. Adam threw himself in the middle of the pentagram. And this feels both very Adam and not Adam at all. Right. <laughs> the only true sensation he felt was that of electricity. The barely perceptible tingling of a lightning storm. Mm-hmm. Just don't say anything about your skin. Yes. <laughs> We discussed that yeah. last episode. <laughs> Neve had said it wasn't about the killing, that it was about the sacrifice. It was obvious that stymied Welk completely, but Adam knew what sacrifice meant more than he thought Welk or Neve had ever had to know. There are no truer words. Right. And Adam gets it. Mm-hmm. Again. <laughs> again, he puts the pieces together when other people might not have. Uh-huh. Adam had been making sacrifices for a very long time, and he knew what the hardest one was. On his terms or not at all. Right. And I wanted to take this back to Maura's reading of the Two of Swords in chapter 15. She says, you're avoiding a hard choice. Acting by not acting. So here's Adam taking an action. Mm-hmm. Asking you to compromise your principles. I'd guess from what I'm seeing that any other path would have to do with going outside those other two options and making your own option. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is a time for ignoring your emotions. Right. Page 145. So the next section about what it means to be Adam Parrish is just like, wow. Yeah, I had this whole passage highlighted because it does feel like the iconic description of Adam. Being Adam Parrish was a complicated thing, a wonder of muscles and organs, synapses and nerves. He was a miracle of moving parts, a study in survival. The most important thing about Adam Parrish, though, had always been free will, the ability to be his own master. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And then he very, says, very Adam. yeah, and then... It was the most important thing. This is what it was to be Adam. I sacrificed myself. And I'm like, Adam, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm with Gansey on that one, even though I know it'll work out. Uh-huh. The tension, though, the first time I read through this was yes. just like, oh, my God, what's going to uh-huh. happen? I kind of knew that it would be okay somewhere right. deep down, but it was still like, uh-huh. And here we have the iconic, I will be your hands, Adam thought. I will be your eyes. Yeah. He's sacrificing his autonomy, the thing he would not give to his father or to Gansey. Yes. And then that crackle of energy like a breaker being thrown and the ground begins to roll. Uh Uh-huh. And then we move on to chapter 46, which is a blue point of view chapter. And the struggle continues... Adam's actions have literal earth-shattering repercussions as a mystical earthquake ensues. Or possibly, Blue thinks as she grabs Gansey and Ronan and dives into the nightmare tree, it's the herd of white-horned beasts thundering their direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> possibly. 
all Blue could think was, nothing really bad has ever really happened to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this type of situation would give you a new perspective for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the trees heaved toward one another as if they would pull free from the soil. I don't think that's just the earthquake. No, me either. <laughs> Look what you've done, you crazy bastard, Ronan shouted to Adam, whose gaze was sharp and wary as he stood inside the pentagram. It's odd to see Ronan genuinely yell at Adam, but if there was a time... Yeah. Though I don't know that Adam's even home right now to hear it. Well, he probably can't really hear it, that's for sure. It almost feels like the time that Ronan reacts to Adam during Adam's visions in the nightmare tree. Mm. Kind of the, are you happy now? Is this what you wanted? Yeah. An earthquake was such a shocking thing, a wrong thing, that it didn't seem impossible to believe that the world had been inherently broken and that it would never be right again. I mean, earthquakes do happen in Appalachia. Not often, and they're not big, but we don't think it's the end of times. Right. (laughs) A blacker and uglier thing than it seemed before, from a world where death was unfair and instant. The gun is finally used, and it feels so casual. Uh Uh-huh. It really does. Mm -hmm. What would you know what to do with power? He snapped at Adam. What a waste. What a fucking waste. Welk. Asshole to the end. Also a waste. A Uh, fucking waste. (laughs) He had not missed, but Adam had also not been shot, and the two were somehow the same thing. And I love this way of explaining Adam's new powers. Mm -hmm. There was a crushing sadness to Gansey's face as he looked at Adam. That was the first clue Blue got that something was inherently different, irretrievably altered, if not about the world, then about Caveswater, and if not about Caveswater, then about Adam. Mm-hmm. Is it the guy suddenly being apparently bulletproof, or your boyfriend's sad face that clued you in, Blue? Probably both, but Casey doesn't look at Adam that way. Yeah, and I mean, technically, her boyfriend's still Adam. Well, technically. For, for another half of a book. <laughs> Although, Blue definitely seems to forget that. Uh-huh. And Gansey makes it about himself again. Why, Gansey asked Adam, was I so awful? And Adam responds, it was never about you. Uh-huh. When Welk's bullet had fell to wound Adam, he dropped the gun by his side, defeated as a child in a game of pretend. And I can totally picture this. Mm-hmm. I think you should give that back to me, Adam told Welk. He was shaking a little. I don't think Caveswater wants you to have it. I think if you don't give it to me, it might take it. And it's kind of like this is our first real look at the magician. Right. Adam is instantly speaking for Cabe's water. And he warns Welk of what's going to come. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the trees began to hiss. Blue realized that it wasn't hissing, it was voices. The trees were speaking and now she could hear them too. And Ronan translates, take cover! <laughs> So, do you feel that Adam called the stampede, or was the stampede a natural defense mechanism of the forest? Or was it just a pack of dream creatures that were spooked by the earthquake? I've always thought that it was the forest. Okay. Protecting Adam, or just protecting... Both. Like, protecting Adam and protecting, like, itself. Okay. I've always come down on the possibly Adam subconsciously called for help. Yeah. But I mean, that, that could would be that too. Yeah. I guess that would put the mm. onus more on Adam than on Cabe's water. If that makes sense. Maybe. But we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, in a, in a, yeah, yeah. We'll circle back around to that. <laughs> Blue pulls Gansey and Ronan into the vision tree. And the moment before the vision envelops them, they can see what's bearing down on them. A tremendous rippling herd of white-horned beasts, coats glinting like ice-crusted snow, snorts and cries choking the air. 
It's slightly different, but it very reminiscent of the skeletal elk in the cave where they find Mora later. Mm-hmm. They were somehow like that raven carved into the hillside, like that dog sculpture she'd held, strange and sinuous. And they're all magic. Like right. Mm-hmm. I adore this whole paragraph. It has exactly the feel that it should. Wild and unheeding and otherworldly. Absolutely. And once upon a time in past drafts, Gansey was not originally on the search for Glendower. But Maggie says, Glendower was actually Llewellyn, who was actually the wild hunt. Mm-hmm. An excerpt from an early draft. I swear to you, Blue, a horned man picked me up and brought me back to life. And I've spent my whole life trying to find a world where something, someone like him could exist. That's so cool. And this feels very wild hunt to yes, me. Yes, Absolutely. The vision tree shows them the night-smeared jeweled reflections across the wet, streaming pavement, stoplights turning from green to red. The Camaros sat on a curb, blue in the driver's seat. Everything was soaked in the smell of gasoline. And is that the climax of the Raven King? No, this is a different scene. It's slightly flipped from Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue. Okay. Where Blue and Gansey go on one of their midnight rides and he's teaching her to drive the pig and she's racing down the empty highway. And the way that scene plays out is Blue pulled over. Blue, he warned, but his voice was chaotic. She said, I just want to pretend. I just want to pretend that I could. Mm -hmm. Which in her vision here is something he says to her. Maybe it wouldn't hurt if I kiss you, he whispered. Maybe it's only if you kiss me. Mm -hmm. So some of their dialogue is flipped back and forth. Mm -hmm. But that is the vision that she's having here. Right. And that's pages 200 to 201 in Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue. Okay. Chapter 47. It's a Gansey POV. Gansey climbs out of the vision tree to survey the aftermath. A philosophical discussion ensues on whether not saving someone is the same as killing them. Gansey only allowed himself a confused moment of the vision before he tosses himself out of the tree. (laughs) If both Blue and Gansey saw the same thing, what did Ronan see? On the previous page, it says the tree pulled them into a vision. Mm -hmm. And Ronan refused to go in last time, but he's here now. And did he see the same thing they did or something else entirely? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So Gansey needed to see and had a dreadful premonition and already knew. Gansey was expecting to find exactly what he found, but I don't think I was. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, though. Right. Why is Gansey so disturbed? Why isn't he happy that Adam did exactly what Gansey told him to, Mm -hmm. which was to find a way to wake the ley line without hurting anyone? Welk notwithstanding. (laughs) But Uh that was kind of a byproduct anyway. Welk dug his own grave. Well, yeah. (laughs) There was not as much blood as one would expect in a trampling, but there was something broken in his appearance nonetheless, a sort of rumpled look to his form. And these are words that are used to describe Noah earlier on. And I think that's really fitting. Yes, I totally noted that too. And I love it. Mm -hmm. Adam says that he got the gun from the trees. And Gansey notices a chilling remoteness that meant that the boy Gansey knew was pressed far down inside him. And this is different from the remoteness we've seen at other times. But we do know that Adam is pretty good at compartmentalizing and disconnecting. This is true. He may be doing the same here, just making room for cave's water in his mind. That's true. Did you shoot him? 
Gansey asks, and of course not, Adam said. He put the gun on the ground carefully. I only used it to keep him from coming in here. You let him get trampled. Yes, Gansey, he did. (laughs) (laughs) And I am totally with Adam in this argument. It was 100% self-defense. Letting Welk into the pentacle would not have ended well for Adam. It just wouldn't have. And it was also not, as Gansey suggests, kids without the authority to even choose an alcoholic beverage, choosing who lives and who dies. I wrote a note in the margin here, but I actually have no idea what it says. So (laughs) I couldn't read my own handwriting. He just taught us four irregular verbs last week and you killed him. Stop saying that. I didn't save him. Stop telling me what I should believe is wrong or right. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And then Adam says, we leave Welk to be worn away just like he left Noah. That is justice, Gansey. Yeah, and I had had the question, does Shannon agree with Gansey or Adam here? Which you seem to have already answered. Uh-huh. And I have to say that I agree with Gansey on this one. Adam allowing Welk to die is equivalent to having committed the murder himself. And sure, there's a wild sort of justice, a poetic justice mm-hmm. in Welk being trampled. But I'm still not entirely sure that Adam didn't call for backup in the form of a wild stampede, consciously or not. I don't think it was conscious. And I don't think he is culpable if he says, I'm in a bad situation. I need help. And some outside force Helps brings in him. I also don't think that him entering the pentacle would have been a big deal. Like, I don't think Cave's Water would have allowed him to get hurt. Mm, I guess that's true. So, uh, kind of with on this one. I disagree. (laughs) Okay. So do they. So do they. So. Like, I feel like there is an inherent difference in not offering salvation to someone, not offering help, and... In some situations, being responsible for what happens. Okay. But still, there was something in his eyes, in the lines of his mouth. Ronan's perspective in The Dream Thieves, Adam was different since making the bargain with Cave's Water. Stronger, stranger, farther away. Mm-hmm. It's a quote from 435. And Gansey felt loss looming. Again, what is he afraid of? Mm-hmm. Gansey simply said, as the others emerge, he died. Mm-hmm. And still Gansey covers for Adam, even if he doesn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. As the gangsy leaves, Caveswater gives a message about Glendower. And this is the first instance of Caveswater using English. Uh-huh. Does it now know English because it's tapping into Adam's mind? Hmm. We know what you're looking for. But yet before they didn't. Right. <laughs> Did they lie before? Or maybe they just didn't have the power to connect fully to the spirit road and find Glendower. Right. It's unclear. And then the last line, they think he may be yours. Uh Uh-huh. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Very, like, it's very punch. Like, Yeah. So chapter 48 is a Blue point of view chapter. Noah attends his own funeral and convinces Blue to talk to his parents and tell his mom he's sorry about her birthday schnapps. Then he's laid to rest and then dug up by his friends a few hours later and then laid to rest again, this time on the ley line. And then he reappears with much rejoicing and heads off with them, but not to eat pizza. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I honestly forgot that this wasn't an epilogue. It feels very epilogue-ish. It really does. We end the book with Blue's POV and in much the same physical place, the abandoned churchyard, giving a nice circularity to the novel itself. Uh It does. 
It was a fine sunny day at the very beginning of June when they buried Noah's boat. When does school end? They've already graduated by the very beginning of June, it seems. Yeah, end of May is graduation. Kids are still in school. (laughs) Yeah, but graduation happens before the end of school. Mm -mm, Yes, it does. Here in Oregon? As far as I know. Because I I was not out of school until like June 20th or something in California. In West Virginia, it was beginning or middle of June. You got out of school and then graduation was like two or three weeks earlier. Why would you wait? So seniors just don't have to come for the seniors last just three weeks? don't come for the last two or three weeks. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> because their grades already have to be in, and well, they have to be. They're not seniors anyway. So yeah. anyway, I was baffled. I was baffled. I am obviously still baffled. Like that, kids would be out of school by the beginning of June baffles me. Sure, mm-hmm. sounds good. They're out. Yeah, they're it was always like the sixth or the eighth when I got out when I was growing up. Really? Oh yeah. my god! It's, like, it's a little later than that now, but so lucky. All right. Anyway, <laughs> of course we always we also went back before Labor Day. Yeah, they're doing that this year in Oregon too. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so confused. I'm so confused. I love the whole list of things that have happened over the last few weeks and how mm. it continues to build the characters. Gansey gets his journal and he quits rowing. Uh-huh. Ronan passes his finals and he tries and fails to fix the lock at the front of Monmouth, which is uh-huh. really kind of cute when you think about all the stuff he fixes at the barns. Uh-huh. Blue has more freedom to explore the ley line, which obviously means more is okay with it, I guess. Uh-huh. And of course... Adam, with probable help from Ronan, moved to a room belonging to St. Agnes Church, a mm-hmm. subtle distance that affected both boys in different ways. Mm-hmm. If this isn't a hint of Ronan catching feelings, I don't know what is. Uh-huh. It's true. So there are power failures over the course of these weeks nine times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, am I going to have to start looking for nines now? No. <laughs> of course, it is three threes right. as well. And the Foxway ladies say they aren't sure exactly what they did that night, but Neve disappeared when they rearranged her mirrors. Mm -hmm. We meant to disable her, Persephone acknowledged, but we seem to have disappeared her instead. It's possible that she will reappear at some point. Yep, she does. Right. On second read, it's easier to see where she went. Right. And it's good to know that it's actually pointed out here. Uh I'm beginning to think I just sidelined Neve and her connection to the demon. I think I did the same. Yeah. It didn't seem like they'd ever return to normal, but none of them want to be normal anyway. They don't. And they're at the funeral, and there is a pretty great line about the dress that Blue makes for the funeral and all that. But Uh, he and Ronan looked like groomsmen in their impeccable black suits. This is a really great line because, yes, Blue, who's never gone to black tie affairs, would probably associate suits with weddings as the only time she's seen them. Mary mm-hmm. and Burian clothes, uh-huh. as we said. There's also a pretty amazing deleted scene line about Ronan in a black suit, but I won't <laughs> bore you. You won't bore me? Nope. Aww. <laughs> I don't think it would bore me. Anyway, so Blue comes in in this, like, thrown-together outfit, <laughs> and Gansey's like, what? What are you wearing? And Blue's like, it's the best I could do. And Ronan's like, like, Noah cares. Right. <laughs> and then Noah begs Blue until she talks to his family. 
Tell her I'm sorry I drank her birthday schnapps. That reminds me of the ditto scene from Ghost. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, why is he asking Blue anyway? I mean, is it only that, like, Blue is giving him the energy to speak so she can hear him? Or wouldn't President cell phone with his black suit and honeyed voice be a more respectable choice? (laughs) Or is it just that the daughter of the psychic gives a little plausible deniability? (laughs) I think that it's the fact that, like, maybe Blue's the only one who can hear him right now. That's, yeah. 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 And also, this coming from the daughter of the psychic is less respectable, but more understandable, I guess. Yeah. And she's like, Noah, only for you. (laughs) And... It's awkward. It's an awkward conversation, but surprisingly, the schnapps line works. Yeah. As Blue walks away, Gansey says, what are you doing? Humiliating myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mrs. Cherney does really break my heart. Yeah. Everything was knotted and painted and sprayed under control. Blue wasn't fooled. I mean, she's burying her son. I mean, even yeah. though he's been dead for seven years, like, yeah, they... Yeah. Like, like here is incontrovertible proof that he's never that he's gone. Back. He's never coming back. Yeah. Immediately, Mrs. Cherney's face darkened. She merely shook her head and said quite calmly, "No, you don't." Blue's right. They are taking this surprisingly well. Uh huh. Tell her," whispered Noah. This is so painful. Poor Noah. Can you uh-huh. imagine, like him it's seeing like- his family? Oh my goodness. And then he wants Mrs. to comfort them so much. And then Mrs. Cherney started to cry. But it's me too. I'm crying uh-huh. right now. Uh, poor Noah. Whew. Skip to later that night, and Ronan being the most conspicuous lookout ever. <laughs> of course, Gansey can just rent a backhoe. Don't you have to be over 21? (laughs) And of course, Adam knows how to operate it. And I've done this and it takes practice. Uh It looks like it would. It's not really all that easy. So they come to dig Noah up, and I'm thinking, don't they seal caskets in cement these days? Like, isn't there, like, an outer cement covering? Yeah, there's what's called a vault liner, which are basically boxes of plastic or cement. Uh But Noah is already boned, so they don't have to worry about exploding caskets. And yes, I looked this up. (laughs) (laughs) They do have these covers that basically mean that it won't collapse when things start to rot away. Okay. Because apparently boxes of plastic buried in the earth are better for us. <sighs> Less messy, I guess. And uh, whatever. And Ronan says, this will all come back to bite you in the ass, you know, when you're running for Congress. Shut up and drive, Lynch. And it just makes <laughs> me laugh so much. Oh, Ronan, you ass. <laughs> It's interesting to me, Adam's not mentioned at all from here until the end of the book, though I am guessing he's there for the church scene. I guess. I picture him, but honestly, on page, I was looking and I'm like, there's no mention of Adam at all. Yeah, here we're at the funeral. No, uh, well, I mean, he runs the backhoe. He's oh, at, that's uh, true, that's true. At yeah. the funeral, he's actually at work. That, oh. that is addressed. Okay. But he comes to run the backhoe, but then from that point on, he's never mentioned Uh. again. So I just thought it was interesting that she didn't throw at least like one little line that Adam said in there. Right. Whatever. They reburied his bones at the old ruined church, which was Blue's idea. No one will bother them here, she said. And we know it's on the ley line and it's holy ground. Mm -hmm. And then... (laughs) 
Vernon insists he strained a muscle opening his hood. It's like, Vernon, you are a jerk. Yeah, Gansy scoffed. Doing what? You were standing watch, opening my hood. Old marrieds for (laughs) real. (laughs) And Blue stared at Gansy, his hands in his pockets, his head tilted down. I wish I knew what he was thinking, but I can only guess. Mm -hmm. He so wants to bring Noah back, and I think he might have some survivor's guilt that Noah's sacrifice saved He absolutely does. He's mentioned it before. Yeah. It felt like no time and all the time in the world since she'd seen Gansey's spirit walk this very path. Gansey, that's all there is. She wouldn't, she vowed, be the one to kill him. You want a bat? <laughs> yeah, promises, promises. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly Noah, rumpled and familiar, was framed in the arched doorway of the church, more solid than Blue remembered ever seeing him. Mm-hmm. And it's so adorable how much of a chicken ghost Noah is. Yeah. <laughs> This place is so creepy. Yeah, he peered around the crumbled walls with a timorous expression. (laughs) I love timorous. Uh (laughs) Watch Navita get nerdy about words. (laughs) There are certain words I like, too. Yeah. I'm still not eating pizza. I'm just like, Noah, I love you. We're not going to make you eat pizza. (laughs) I agree. Pizza sucks. (laughs) What? I don't like pizza. You don't like pizza? How did I never know this about you? I mean, I'll eat it, but I don't like it. I had no idea. (laughs) My mind is blown. (laughs) My world is askew. (laughs) We have eaten pizza so many times. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You can say... Anyway, anyway, we're getting off topic. (laughs) The tattooed hook that edged out above Vernon's collar looked like either a claw or a finger or part of a fleur-de-lis. It was nearly as sharp as his smile. My boy. Uh Uh-huh. I guess now would be a good time to tell you, he said. Actually, you do this, because you do a better Vernon voice than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm laughing, which is not a good Ronan voice. All right. I guess now would be a good time to tell you, he said. I took Chainsaw out of my dreams. And like, this is such a great line to end this book and lead into the dream themes. I cannot imagine having to wait for the next book after reading a line like that. It is such a good cliffhanger. It really is. Though I still think we were robbed of the original ending featuring Drag Racer Mora. (laughs) And just a little excerpt. Gansey hands his keys over to Mora. She gets into the pig and... Then the smoke cleared and the pig was already yards and yards away down the street. The trees around them still echoed the sounds of gears being shifted swiftly and skillfully. Sweet Jesus, Ronan said with awe. (laughs) Yeah, Ronan. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to see that. That would have been so cool. It will be in the show notes. In fact, Maggie has deleted the original post, which she sometimes does with old draft stuff. But it is on my page because I love it so much. So I will be linking that. Well, that is the end of the Raven Raven Boys. Boys. It's the end. Oh, my gosh. Ah, man. So before we shift gears and get into discussion questions, let's get into our MVC for this set of chapters. Okay. We had a brief discussion on whether we would do one for the whole book, but this set of chapters. This set of chapters. I'll let you go. I'm going to say Caves Water. Me too! (laughs) Awesome! (laughs) I totally was going to say Caves Water! (laughs) 
I thought about Adam, but I was like, no, Adam. I was like, but Adam just got it. Adam just got one, and that's why I picked Game Slaughter. cycle back to the NBC of the book. Oh, man. That was a harder one. Yeah. Uh, I have my answer. I would go Adam. I think this... So, but when we first started talking about these books, uh-huh. I had said, like, even though Blue is supposedly the POV character, it, it was always kind of presented that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not accurate at all. <laughs> I had said, well, I felt like the first book is Gansey's book, the second book's the Ronin's book, the third, third book, book is Blue's, Blue's book, and the fourth book is Gansey's book. But actually, having gone through the Raven Boys, I think I the think first book is Adam's book. I think the first book is Adam's book as well. Yeah, so it's kind of Adam's book, Ronin's, Ronin's book, book, Blue's, Blue's book, book, and Gansey's book. book. Mm-hmm. So I really would go with Adam for overall. I think overall. you're right. I think I agree. Yeah. I think Adam gets the crowning MVC for the Raven Boys. Okay. All right. That was a really good MVC. (laughs) I'm so excited about that. That was fun. All right. (laughs) So we're going to take a little bit of time to go through some just questions about how we felt about how things went. And then we'll do a Maggie watch as usual, supporter shout out, all that kind of good stuff that we always do at the end of our episodes. So why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, how do you feel about how season one or the Raven Boys went for the podcast? I think it was great once we hit our stride, of course. I've listened to a ton of podcasts, and I always give them the first couple of episodes to kind of get where they're going, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's always kind of a episode seven slump as well. Huh. When, you, when you listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts don't make it past episode seven or episode eight. They just don't get the momentum to keep going. So just simply the fact that we were consistent on things, I think it went really well. Mm-hmm. I've been really, really inordinately pleased. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? I'm also pleased. I think that we were able to keep that momentum a lot because we have a specific material that we're covering. Right. I feel like we've learned a lot about how to do this. And like, I feel like we've improved quite a bit over the course of the last 15 episodes. Right. I agree. So yeah, I'm pleased with it. I think we're doing a good job. Any favorite moments for you? Hmm. I just... I love the silliness and the, the half of my favorite moments are the, like all the laughter that we have to cut out. <laughs> there are so many more stingers that actually don't get in the stinger of the episode. <laughs> That's part of like doing something with a good friend is like, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's been good to have a chance to like hang out and see you and yeah, talk about something interesting. Yeah, I would definitely say like one of my favorite things is that we have an excuse to see each other on a Mm -hmm. regular basis, which we didn't have. I also would say my absolute favorite moment is the beard war! (laughs) (laughs) Episode six cracks me up so hard. (laughs) 
Like, so I listened to it and I laugh my ass off every time. And it was the first time I had to cut over three minutes of us laughing oh my out of the middle of an episode and try to cut a bunch of us just cracking the F up over the period of like 10 minutes <laughs> and trying to get through three paragraphs worth of material. <laughs> And it was so funny. Just losing it. And just losing it. And the weird thing is, like, it's actually one of our least downloaded episodes. And I'm like, you guys are missing it. Like, this is <laughs> the funniest episode we put out. And you are not listening to it. I don't understand. <laughs> episode six is so funny. Oh, yeah. <sighs> what was the most surprising thing about doing the podcast for you? Getting actual, like, listeners. Yes. I, that was my answer as well. <laughs> I mean, it's been great, but I was like, this is going to be us. We're just doing this because we want to sit around and talk about this book. Right. <laughs> I would say the most surprising moment is in our analytics on our website, we can actually look at where things get downloaded from. And and I'm sure some things are just kind of VPN being bounced from place to place, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing most people are not doing that. And other than the fact that Antarctica is not actually on the map, it shows a map of the world. And when we hit every continent... Like when we hit a South Africa download and multiple South Africa, like there's someone in South Africa that listens to us. That's awesome. There is someone in like Indonesia that listens to us, that downloads every, like the fact that our voice, for some reason, people in New Zealand, tons of people in New Zealand that are listening, tons of people, of course, in the UK and Norway and Netherlands and like... France and Canada and Brazil. Brazil has been uh-huh. so super supportive. Yeah, we love our friends in Brazil and Norway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it has been just awesome. boggling to me that like I talk every day to someone who lives in Poland that I met because I became involved in the fandom because of this podcast. Right. And that blows my mind. <laughs> Definitely. And are there things you might want to change up for season two? You know, I've thought about this and I feel like if things change in the format, it's going to come out organically because Uh when we first sat down and kind of started plotting out how this was going to go, I said, I want each episode to be under 45 minutes. (laughs) Remember? Do you remember? Uh And our first recording, which we actually not deleted, but like couldn't use was like two hours long and we didn't even get halfway through the material. We were just like, okay, this is going to work. This is way too long. We have to go back to the drawing board. And I thought we would cover like five or six chapters and have it be done in 45 minutes. Uh And apparently we talk way too much about these books, which is great because that's why people are listening to us. Mm -hmm. But I think what I would like to do is more character studies. Yeah. That's really the biggest thing is I love the deep dives and I get super nerdy on that research. But the character studies that I've wanted to do right. so far, I don't feel like I've given myself the breathing room. And a lot of that's just the prep time that we've given uh-huh. ourselves. So with the hiatus and being able to identify the characters we might want to dive into, right. that's where I might want to go with that. Yeah, so okay. anything you would want to change um, up? No, that would be about my thoughts as well as like, if there was anything that would, we would need to change, it would come up. 
like you said, organically as we talked about what the next season yeah. looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the MVC. Oh, me too. I love Maggie Watch. I love those very regular segments, I uh-huh. guess you would say. I love doing the deep dive. I feel bad for our audience. They might not be as <laughs> passionate about it, but our reviews seem to say that people really enjoy them. So uh-huh. I yeah. mean, I super enjoy them. I love them. I do too. What are you most looking forward to about the Dream Thieves or least looking forward to? <laughs> Both at the same time, huh? So most looking forward to is everything. <laughs> um, actually, I'm really looking forward to getting into the magic of the Dreamers yes. and the Lynches and really dissecting how that might work. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I also, I'm kind of torn as to whether it'd be awesome if the first book of the Dreamer trilogy came out during us doing the Dream Thieves. That'd be so cool. Because on the one hand, it will probably really delve into the Dreamers. On mm-hmm. the other hand, it would be really hard not to reference that knowledge and keep it purely a Raven Cycle podcast and not right. make it spoilery for the Dreamer trilogy for those folks who might not have read it. Right. So that might be a little bit difficult, but that's... But I know you're totally not going to be able to keep yourself from reading oh, the Dreamer God. trilogy until we're done with it. No, fuck no. <laughs> like if I can get an arc, if anyone anyone knows how to get an arc like we would just be forever in your debt (laughs) opal i'm very much looking forward to opal i love her so much Uh um i'm also looking forward to like more delving into the dreamers and like how dream magic works because like doing the podcast and actually doing like sitting down and like writing this stuff out mm-hmm. make a whole lot more connections and stuff. Right, so it'll be, right. it'll be really interesting. And I'm looking forward to revisiting the Dream Thieves having softened on Ronan a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are you not looking forward to? Kavinsky. I hate Kavinsky. <laughs> Believe me, there's going to be a Kavinsky disclaimer. Oh, man. (sighs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't love him in the way other people love him. Actually, that leads into what I'm not looking forward to in The Dream Thieves. First... I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to do it justice, which I was also afraid of in The Raven Boys. I feel like there's a lot of good material that just don't have time to cover Mm -hmm. or won't be able to cover well enough or won't be satisfying enough to cover in kind of a broad sense. And then it does seem to be the most controversial of the books kind Mm -hmm. of in the fandom as far as it seems fairly divisive, like between the two of us. It's either <laughs> someone's favorite book or someone's least favorite book. And yep, that's how it works with us. Kavinsky, it's either like they love Kavinsky or they hate Kavinsky. And that, <laughs> that you know, walking that fine line, because like I love Kavinsky because he is flawed, mm-hmm. because he's a terrible person, and because he is written interestingly. That is why I love him. Mm-hmm. I'm not like rose-colored glasses Kavinsky. I'm not like he's the best thing since sliced bread Kavinsky. I'm like he 
has problems. Mm-hmm. And I love him for it. But it will be very interesting and difficult, I think, to navigate that right. appropriately. And I do want to navigate that appropriately. Right. So that's what I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> do you feel like doing the podcast has helped you make new connections in regards to like foreshadowing and plot in the Raven Cycle? And like even more so than doing rereads? I feel like there are a couple of things like when we have very specifically said we are going to look for whether or not that this is a thread. Right. That I feel like we have picked out things that have been foreshadowed that we actually didn't think like the demon. Like the demon. Like we've we've said this episode and previously. So I do think that there are some things that specifically doing the analysis has actually shown. I also feel like there are lots of things that we might glom onto a particular detail and like a listener might be like, you guys, let it it go. Like, that's not that important. You you guys are really mountain molehill here. This is not like it... Like, you know, like, you know, like the curtains are just red. They're not, they're not (laughs) meaning blood or like there's nothing there. You guys, but that might be the case for them. I mean, you know, and that is what our literary ballad, right? That is what literary analysis is. Uh So, what about you? Do you feel like doing the podcast has made connections that you had not seen? I absolutely think so. I think it's been. Like, we're talking about the demon and, like, repetitions and cycles of things, like, throughout the books. I just, I catch it easier having someone to bounce these ideas off of. Right. And be like, hey, is this a thing? Is this not a thing? And, you know, just talk it over and just be like, yeah, it is. Or "Eh, maybe not because of this or that. And One of my favorite things that anyone who listens can say is, you said this thing and it blew my mind. Uh Uh-huh. That, to me, is the most satisfying thing possible. It's not that they might not have come to that conclusion on their own. Right. I don't know. That is that yeah, is what is. I'm here for. Because Yeah, exactly. And it's like, neither of us were like lit majors. We're not... Right. No. <laughs> so lit like, lovers. Yes. Not... I haven't done this in years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not what I do on a daily basis. I don't review books. I don't write papers. I don't mm-hmm. analyze literature. That's not what I do. But and this... like, and yet we're st- and like we are putting out like pages and pages of like <laughs> literal pages and pages. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really satisfying to know that other people appreciate it and that we are actually giving other people insight and it's yeah. really it's really satisfying and fun. Yeah. And this has kind of already been answered, but maybe something new will come out. A favorite or surprising detail that you noticed this time around that you didn't see before. Hmm. Obviously the demon there's mm-hmm. like, oh, it really was Right. Mm -hmm. I think mine is seeing the connection between Adam and Persephone. Yeah, that's a really good one. I really, really do feel like seeing it this time around that it is hinted at so much earlier than I ever saw before. Right. Because like she is the one he interacts with of that group of people. Right. yeah, so I think that's really, really intriguing, and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing if that continues before the actual mentorship. Right. Anything that you would like to add? Other than to just say that this has been so fun, and I'm excited to keep doing it. 
That's awesome. I was afraid <laughs> Shannon was going to break up with me during this little discussion. <laughs> so I do have one final question because okay. I always have to ask you a question that's not on our list. I should totally think of a question to ask you that because I know you always do that. I was just thinking. I was thinking last night. I was like, she's going to ask me something off the wall. <laughs> You know it. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> when are we going to marathon the entire Fast and the Furious franchise? Oh, my God. To prep for the Dream Thieves. Shannon, we need to set a weekend and just, like, popcorn it up. You're going to have to out clear off the guest bed. We're just going to watch them. You were so horrified. You promised. I you, did. You promised we would watch at least co- some. Okay. okay. Some. Okay. We have to watch some. I have never seen them. You have never seen them. We have to watch the Fast okay. and the Furious. You pick a weekend and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's going to be so awesome. Well, what if we did like a reaction video? <laughs> We have a YouTube channel that we've never used. Do we? Yes. We oh have. my god, did I set us up a YouTube channel? I think I set up a YouTube channel and we've never used it. So we can talk Okay, about reaction video. video. Reaction. We still have to do you crying about ravens. <laughs> I will not forget this. Damn it. Called out. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing this, Navita. We definitely have more than a hundred subscribers. <laughs> All right. <sighs> hey, Navita, is it time for a Maggie watch? Maggie watch. So Maggie has said that she will be scheduling only a few appearances over the next year, and she's announced that she will be at the Barnes & Noble in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, on Wednesday, August 1st, from 7 to 9 p.m. And she'll be appearing with N.K. Jemison, who I'm going to put on my to-do uh, to-do list. No, I do not know if she wants that. I'm going to put her on my to-read list because she looks awesome. And she'll also be appearing with the students of a workshop that's hosting this event. Cool. So this does make me a little sad for the possibility of a Dreamer trilogy tour. I had already sort of released that dream a while ago. Because she's not doing well. She's doing better. Mm. But we would like her to continue doing better. And that means her not touring. Yes. But if you are in that area and you have not had the chance to meet Maggie before, or even if you have, I highly encourage you to go. And you can always see when and where Maggie might be making a public appearance at www.maggiestevotter.com slash appearances. Awesome. And then some supporter shout outs. <laughs> First, I'd like to say thank you to Dante Eloquent and Luis Essen for the wonderful reviews that we've gotten recently. And these are a huge boost to our moods and we love reading them together. So that's yes. pretty great. And last time I thanked new listeners who had just joined us. And this time I want to thank some listeners who have been with us since practically the first episode. Mm-hmm. Hannah, Nancy, and Nicole, you have been the rocks that prop this podcast up in its infancy. Uh-huh. There were times when I thought, hey, 
I don't care if I do this episode for three people. <laughs> At least I have those three people to do an episode for. Uh-huh. There may well be others who've listened from the beginning and have stuck with us, but you three have been constant supporters. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yes, you guys are awesome. And a last shout out. A huge thank you again to Mio for the wonderful logo. It's amazing. You have no idea how much we love it. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And a shout out to Damiano Baldoni, whom I've never spoken to and probably doesn't know we exist, but who put his music up on music archives under Creative Commons and we fell in love with it. And we used two of his tracks for the opening and closing of the podcast. Indeed. So please check him out. We do link to him every single time. Yep. And very last bit of housekeeping before wrapping up season one. Woohoo! Oh my god. Right now, we are going to shoot for mid-August to come back with season two. However, we will have a few promotional items posted throughout July, so please stay subscribed for that info. We are planning a trailer teaser a giveaway, and possibly a mailbag episode before we come back with our next actual first episode of season two. Yep. We're excited. We are. And with that, let's wrap up. Where's the thing? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will be the start of season two, The Dream Thieves. So stay tuned to your favorite podcast app for more info. Yes, and we will be doing prep. And so our recording schedule is definitely several weeks ahead of release schedule. So please do continue following us online. We will be announcing what's going to be upcoming. We will be doing the giveaways as we talked about. So we'll talk about what chapters we'll be covering. And we may announce, like I said, a mailbag episode. And Mm -hmm. so we would love to hear from you with questions for that. So please do contribute to the conversation and we're super excited to come back with lots of good information on the Dream Thieves. Right. We'll have a few weeks for people to get in questions about the Dream Thieves and and thoughts and info, which would be awesome. Yeah. We'll still be around. You can (laughs) find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. Yep. And you can still reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. And if we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And we hope you've enjoyed season one with yes. Raven Boys. Yeah. Until next time in season two. Whoop whoop, Raven Girls. <laughs>
<laughs> you know that that's what's gonna fucking happen. <laughs> Don't even deny it. <laughs> this is this is where my dumb mouth comes into play. I just say shit and then it happens forever. I'm like, why? But juicy. I love Ronan, he's the best.